0: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel Leroy, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is something I like doing every year because the extension deadline for guys that are on rookie scale deals, so, you know, players who are right now entering their fourth season and are eligible for an extension, that deadline and then the option decision deadline for players a little earlier in that same process are on the same day. And you know, if it's not on a weekend, that's Halloween. And so I really like talking about it as as kind of a thing. And also with the timing on it is is perfect because it's a little bit too early to really talk about the season in depth. So it, it buys a little bit of time in that way. So it's it's interesting and it, it's something that's incredibly relevant, especially with what happened. And a great guy to talk to for many reasons about it is Dan Feldman. Dan writes for NBC Pro Basketball Talk. He hosts Lockdown Pistons. And most importantly for this context, he's big into the same stuff that I am in terms of the CBA and the salary cap. And he was also the third member of the dunked on mock rookie extension podcast that Nate and I and, and Dan did earlier in the summer. And so we kind of used that experience as part of the guiding light for talking about a lot of these different things. And so a very fun conversation runs about an hour 20, I think is is where it really turned out. And we go through all of the extensions, and then Dan's really interested in the option years too, so we spend a fair amount of time on that. Apologies for no timestamps, partially because I'm, I'm turning this around really fast. There isn't much editing on this just because you can't really do that when, when you're trying to spin something out as, as fast as this, so it's more in line with a dunked-on or a locked-on Warriors episode than a real jam radio, but that's the nature of the beast for this. So I have that, but also... This episode, um, I'm proud to say, is sponsored by Audible. So you can go to Audible.com slash try now. You can get a free audiobook with a with a one month test subscription. See if you like it, fantastic service, you can check that out as well. So here is Dan Feldman and our conversation that occurred right after the deadline on midnight on Halloween. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm excited because this got a lot more interesting than we expected when we planned this weeks ago. <laughs> Thank you, Cody Zeller. Yes, thank you, Cody Zeller. I mean, all, all the ones today kind of told a, a little bit of a different story. Each one of them themselves, just because of the the nature of the market and everything else.
1: Yeah, uh, it was it was real interesting. Uh, I guess until some of the details got flushed out where there were like three in a row reported as – or I guess two in a row but three total uh, reported as oh, four years, $100 million, where it's just like at least on the surface looked like the exact same number. And it set up what could have been a really cool comparison and still should be even though uh, one of those is turns out for $102 million if you're splitting hairs.
0: Yeah. So, so Giannis, Rudy Gobert, and Steven Adams all agreed to extensions. Giannis a few weeks ago, Rudy and Steven today. And what's notable about 4-100 or thereabouts is that it's Close to what the current max would be, but we still don't know definitively—at least as far as I've heard—how wh- and w- how that could change in the next CBA. Right. It's interesting. I,
1: you know, it seems maybe this is just my memory, uh, and I did not check back through every year. Uh, but when's the last time we did not have a true max contract extension?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Because yeah, we had Anthony Davis and Lillard, who ended up being higher than AD, though none of us assumed that at the time. Yeah, it's it's been a while. And it's also fascinating that a few of them were deliberately not full max extension, CJ McCollum's being the most obvious.
1: And, and I think there are two things at play here. One, it's the collective bargaining agreement is going to change, and there's so much uncertainty. And Teams didn't want to have the risk of what happened with the Thunder with Kevin Durant the last time, where you put in maximum, and then who knows exactly what that turns out to be.
0: Yeah, that's the, the other— Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, go go ahead.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point of it, but I think the bigger one is just no player from this draft class has made an All-Star game.
1: Uh, okay, that's a good one. I guess I'll give you a third, third reason I think it happened this way, uh, because I think, like, Giannis Antetokounmpo, like— I think in different years he might have been the max. Uh, but I think this is just a sign of teams being smarter. Uh, a max contract extension sort of a weird thing because it's like, okay, we are going to rush to give you the very most you could wind up getting. We're not going to even wait to see, like, maybe you're not worth quite that. Like, you can always keep a guy restricted for just, Yeah, sure, sometimes it makes sense. Like, you're worried about a, a shorter offer sheet or even occasionally the qualifying offer as a threat. And like sometimes it makes sense. But in general, I think teams historically have rushed too much to give max contract extensions to these rookie scale deals. And so it's just teams being a little smarter saying, OK, if we're going to lock you up now, you got to give us something in return. And yeah, I mean, as you see with like Antetokounmpo and Steven Adams and-, and Gobert, it's not much that the players are giving up. They're very close to the projected max, but they are giving up something they The team at least has a tangible gain in return over the life of this deal.
0: Another fundamental difference is just the idea that no, this is life-changing money no matter what. I mean, you could say, of course, that like what, even though it wasn't an extension, what Brandon Knight got was, was life-changing money too, but $25 million a year is an incredible amount, especially considering all of these guys, like I think Adams of the 100 guys, so if the, like, if that trio, he was the highest draft pick, the, the strongest draft pick at, I believe, 12. So these aren't guys who thought, oh, well, I'm going to be getting a max contract on my first deal.
1: Right. No, that's it. That's a good point. That's why teams I thought were foolish to so so much rush into to max extensions historically because they do have that leverage. This is the first life changing deal these players sign. Uh, Not that the rookie scale deals are peanuts, but it's hard to set yourself and your family up for life on that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. And you know and also the idea of some sort of revenue stability, like last year part of the reason a lot of extensions didn't happen was because teams thought they would be using cap space. Then this summer, so many of them spent recklessly or just spent, you know, whether it was reckless or not. And that put more than a few teams in a position where you might as well extend the guy. And that also gets into something I wanted to talk with you about, which is the idea of whether in certain circumstances, whether teams prefer what I call a three plus one deal, so meaning a three-year deal with a player option for the fourth, or a four-year deal or a five-year deal. And first of all, five-year deals deal have the designated players, so that gets into the max issue things before. But I think with guys like Giannis and Gobert in particular... Those teams didn't want to have to deal with restricted free agency on those guys just because they found four and that more preferably.
1: Uh, I'm not even – well, I'm not sure how much they didn't want to deal with restricted free agency versus, hey, it was just – like they got the savings so they'd rather do this like do you think there was like a real opposition to to dreading or just really not wanting to go through restricted free agency with those guys
0: for the jazz maybe because they're dealing with all oh. the stuff with gordon hayward right now you know like that's something that has to be sitting in dennis Lindsay's the back of his mind is the idea that you know gordon hayward's going out a year earlier than he could have if they had come to an agreement earlier That's true.
1: Uh, I, I guess I would say like teams are rarely burned by that and don't overreact to the one rare time it happens.
0: That's true. But you also have, generally speaking, more proactive front offices. I mean, I I think maybe the best example of that is Cody Zeller's extension, where, you know, in another year, the team might not have come to an agreement there just because there isn't a ton of upside, though he got... uh, I'm not saying his deal is bad at all. It's just they didn't have a circumstance where they could wait out somebody better because they have no cap flexibility.
1: Right. And and that's where these extensions make sense, is when the teams don't have cap flexibility anyway, though that's not always the most important thing i mean the uh the bucks theoretically could have cap flexibility depending on what greg Monroe does uh, the jazz would have definitely had cap flexibility the thunder definitely would have had cap flexibility uh but teams don't necessarily value that maybe as much as you or i would
0: yeah. And they're also a lot of those are smaller markets. And so the benefits of cap space are muted for them. You know, like the Lakers having 50 million, granted, considering how they spent it last year, maybe they're different, <laughs> but the Lakers having 50 million. You just and, had to sneak that in. Yeah, I did, even though I hadn't planned it. Uh, the Lakers <laughs> having 50 million and the and let's say the Hornets having 50 million, like those don't mean the same thing.
1: That is very true.
0: And so like you look at this list and none of them really play in, you know, those real like free agent. I mean, is probably the closest just because they're players that are from there and everything like that. And also Schroeder is in some ways the most interesting one of those because him and Jang, which I, I think we'll probably spend the most time talking about, those are the only two that I was a little bit queasy on just because they haven't proven their value in the same way that some of the other guys have.
1: Yeah. Uh I'm just scanning up and down the list and I, I think I would agree with that. Uh, I mean,
0: some would put Oladipo in there and he certainly has proven less than guys like CJ and players like that. But, I mean, but he got
1: way less than them. He
0: got less than them. And also like Schroeder hasn't been a starter before. At least Oladipo has been a starter before.
1: Right. I mean, yeah, there's, there's definitely those three have some projection go although i don't even know how much projections going out with jang that's just sort of a weird case but schruder and oladipo definitely have more projection going on than the rest where the other guys are just sort of relying on where they are and, and a hope that they'll at least maintain that and maybe improve a little where oladipo i think he's got to put together a lot more and, and same with schruder obviously
0: yeah that's a good way of thinking about it and schruder Has done relatively well, I would say, during his time. It's just that the role that he is in now is much more comparable to what you would expect him to be doing later on, especially paying him four years, seventy million dollars. And so, have they? But of course, teams have a lot more input than we do. And one of the other things that has to be considered in this in, in the Hawks' case is the idea that while there are a lot of point guards on the market. There, this upcoming summer, there are not a lot of point guards on the market for those kind of like high mid tier guys. You know, it's more like Drew Holiday, George Hill. And as we know, there are never enough point guards to go around.
1: What I like about the Schroeder deal is that, okay, let's say he becomes the point guard. The Hawks seem to think he can. And I think it's a reasonable projection. I'm not sure I'm quite as bullish, but they traded Jeff Teague. Like you get a sense of what they think of Schroeder. If he becomes that, They have a really good deal to get him on this contract, the starting caliber young point guard they think he can be. That's a bargain. If he doesn't become that, well, they've got problems anyway. They've put so many eggs in this basket regardless of whether they deal with this in restricted free free agency or this contract extension. Uh, So it's even more eggs in this basket, but they were already there. So you give yourself a chance of a bargain if he works out, and if he doesn't, well, you're still going to have problems.
0: And they're always, if they hadn't retained him or let's say he'd gotten a bigger offer, you know, they were going to need a point guard. So you could make an estimation that, let's say, a starting point guard, even if we're not going to say league average, like even if he's the 20th best point guard, that a player like that, considering the shallow market for players of that caliber, will get more money than that. And also, you have to consider with Schroeder, the idea that the restricted market could be very lucrative for him just due to supply. I mean, a couple teams are going to get players through the draft, but even then, sometimes teams get a guy through the draft and still want somebody else just because that's too early to play, you know, one of these, maybe not Markel Fultz, but even him, you know, like you, you want to give those guys a little bit of time to really figure it out and, and all that, unless you're totally rebuilding. We'll be right back to the conversation in, in just a little bit, but a brief word from our sponsor, Audible.
1: Can we talk about the, the two big elephants in the room on all of these that, that I think is real interesting when you talk about the market for restricted free agents? Sure, let's do it. Whoa. One one is the cap hold change, yes. potential cap hold change. And then two is, and I don't think this has been fleshed out enough in the reporting. Uh, it's hard for me to take it at face value exactly how it's been presented, but I don't know. I don't know what they're negotiating, uh, but that restricted free agents are going to be able to sign on July 1st with nobody saying that there's going to be any change for unrestricted free agents.
0: Yeah, the idea of signing an offer sheet before the cap is set is borderline nuts to me just because those kind of situations are often on the margins. You know, like the, those are the kind of things of it's like, oh, we'll see how much space we have. And the, you could remedy that. Tom Zeller deserves a lot of credit for advocating this idea, which I fully support as well, of just ending the leak year a week earlier and counting Mm -hmm. that year because then you can have the you can have the accountants do their thing before it changes over which maybe it's going to coincide with that which is this really basic idea that the league could employ but then you're also getting into this weird gray area of well like what is the moratorium now because the whole point of the moratorium was to not let people sign
1: i mean i think the goal should be abolishing the moratorium i don't know if that's feasible See, I
0: love the moratorium, but I think it should be shorter.
1: Why do you you want it to exist at all?
0: Because the moratorium allows teams a little bit of time to structure their transactions. So I I think it was the Celtics in 2015 did some cool stuff just with having that seven or eight days to structure and make some moves and make some trading. And so they kind of bounced from over the cap to under the cap to over the cap again. And the idea of... Allowing teams to do all of that while being flexible with the rules of the salary cap is kind of—it's fun, but it's also a tactical advantage, and I have no opposition to it. However, making it, let's say, four days as opposed to more than a week is something I would definitely support.
1: Well— I suppose – I mean it would limit it to a slight degree, but you can still stagger when you make deals official. I don't sure. – I think if there's no moratorium, there's going to be even more trust. Like the DeAndre Jordan thing was such a rare thing, uh, but it, even if there if there was no moratorium, I think there would be even more trust where you the agent and the player could say, OK, I'll wait to make this this deal official because we know you can do it right now and are willing to do it right now.
0: I would be really surprised, i would just surprised that the players, the like, let's say established veteran players would give this up because it su- significantly hurts their leverage in terms of each individual player's negotiations because you don't have, like, you, you have that money that gets carved out, you know, can be carved out even before their deals are agreed to.
1: Money that would go to restricted free agents. Yeah,
0: restricted money taking out from other veteran, let's say, you know, like five to ten-plus-year guys, you know, like outside outside of that pool because what we've seen, broadly speaking, is that some – Potential restricted free agents, many, like Fournier, like Chris Middleton, signed deals, agreed to deals during the moratorium with their current teams. But until, like, the last day of the moratorium, I can't even recall off the top of my head hearing a team come to an agreement with a potential restricted free agent. Maybe the closest was, oh, was Barnes. Uh, Um, Delhi. Oh yeah, that's true. So, so maybe those those were, I think, both like the fourth or fifth of July. Is that about right?
1: Yeah, I mean, but those are such rare cases. You are yeah. absolutely right. It's so, be so it to what it changes now. that,
0: like you know. And so I am surprised, considering that's the type of thing that I've always I've always thought, like you know, other than marginal changes, that things like the rookie scale were weren't going to change significantly because there isn't a constituency for it. And I always expected this would be similar.
1: Right, and this would fundamentally change so much to. Where there's all this money, I think, going to be pushed at restricted free agents because if your offer sheet gets matched, well, now you can go to the veteran pool that's just starting to open up by that point. And so I think that pushed teams towards uh, contract extensions because they didn't want their players potentially going hunting for offer sheets in that environment.
0: Yeah, I, I think it'll be a lot harder for, let's say, the next Orlando to come to a deal with Evan Fournier if the restricted market opens on July 1st, because why is he – like? we both expected – Middleton might even be the more obvious example of this. Like We both expected that those guys were going to get substantially more than they agreed to, and it's a lot easier to do that in the abstract than when all of the offers can theoretically be on your table.
1: Right. And and the related – I guess not necessarily related, but change with dissimilar similar effect is – the potential higher cap holds for players coming off their rookie scale deals to where the advantage of waiting to uh, sign a player to a new deal rather than extending them like the Spurs did with Kawhi Leonard, like the Pistons did with Andre Drummond, like the Wizards did with Bradley Beal, where that advantage still exists but is lesser
0: if they're going to raise the rookie scale, I'm going to be very interested to see if they sunset this or if they just keep it going mm. because what I've heard – I don't know if I've heard this, but just intuitively, they're not going to change current rookie scale contracts to adjust to the new rules. So in that case, you know if they're going to keep these up, you're going to start to get into some situations where those cap holds are a little bit onerous, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a fundamentally different decision than it was before. And so maybe that facilitates some negotiations, but also in certain circumstances, maybe it facilitates some guys just getting, you know, getting their qualifying offer revoked or something like that, you know, more in line maybe with what happened with Jared Sollinger.
1: Getting it revoked During free agency or just never having it extended
0: either way well yeah because the rumor is they were going to pull out one way revocation right Right. so yeah i guess it would be more in that idea that maybe you don't extend in the first place so yeah that is arguing in the abstract a little bit um but of course teams as we know have often have feelers out to players before so they might have a pretty good idea of where things could go even if they probably don't know where they will
1: you're telling me tampering happens maybe i don't i don't know if i can hear this (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, that would actually be one of the most interesting things, if theoretically, like I don't, you would have to test in the abstract because I'm guessing you could never really enforce it. If we had one summer where there was absolutely zero tampering, to see how that affected things, I think it would have some serious impact.
1: Zero tampering is nobody, as in nobody behaved in a tampering way, or as it was no longer was zero, against the rules. As in
0: there was zero communication on new contracts between any player or any agent and any team before July 1st of that year
1: i mean it'd be i think it would look similar to how it does now but just slid back a little bit i mean it's those deals that happen shortly after midnight on july 1st would just happen you know july 2nd or july 30 everything would just take a little longer but i don't think things would unfold substantially substantially differently
0: i, I feel like there would be some that might change just because the nature of like i'm thinking of like the moskov deal where, you know, that seemed like it was kind of figured out ahead of time, and it's possible that delaying that might have just change the situation maybe it wouldn't have been agreed to first or anything like that and also it might open up the universe for teams because I'm sure there are some where it's just like the agent maybe hasn't necessarily talked to everyone about every player I don't know I've never talked to an agent about this but you know maybe there's a situation like Al Farouk where I've never I don't know this for sure but it did seem like they were kind of zoned in on the Blazers and you know maybe waiting all the way would open some of those up a little bit just because teams would really be looking at it at the same time
1: yeah so though sometimes players are for whatever reason, because they like the fit, because they like the city, they like the coach, are a little more zoned in on a franchise, even after talking to everybody.
0: So one of the extensions that we haven't talked about, and is the one that I guess you could say bothers me the most is is Gorgie Jang. And the reason for that is is something really fundamental. And honestly, my usual criticism of this is more for max guys. And the idea is risk mitigation. So what Minnesota Hazen Chang is a talented player, certainly. But I really liked how they had this benefit of having a year with Thibodeau to figure out what he was and then using that year to decide okay is this a part of our future and it's and they have enough assets where you know i don't necessarily mean letting him go though that is a potential outcome but they've tied up more in him unless they feel that 464 is such a good deal that they can kind of pull a drew holiday and trade him before it really kicks in
1: so this is sort of how i look at it let me ask you this what are the odds regardless of team fit but just sort of over the next four years that he'll be worth sixty four million. Like, what percent chance do you give that?
0: Well, you see, like, the cap's going to stay pretty still, so it's not. It's not like we're sitting there. Let's say the Brandon Knight deal or something like that. We're like, oh my god, any contract's going to look good. <laughs> that is not true anymore. Right. Maybe some. I was going to say between forty and sixty, but that's too big a range. Let's <laughs> say like, say like fifty five percent.
1: Oh wow, we're uh, we're pretty spot on. I'm at about fifty five sixty percent. Uh, so we see that similarly. So we do think this. De- you know deal is going to work out. However, he's going to be 31 by the end of it. He might be a little bit too duplicative with Carl Anthony Towns, who I sort of think both of them are going to be at their best at center over the long run, although there are advantages to playing both of them together and reducing the wear and tear. I just don't think 60% of it being of the deal being a good value is high enough to justify those potential complications
0: particularly when a team has cap space and they have this year to figure out everything. You know, like if if it were a situation, let's say like the Hornets, where they're dealing with Cody Zeller and you know they're not going to have the ability to do it, then if you can make a value play that's close to a 50-50 proposition... Yeah, I'm probably okay with that, because you you really can't replace him, and if the rules change the way we think they will, that's important as well. Minnesota's not in that situation. Minnesota could get a max guy. Minnesota could go in a lot of different directions. They also signed a backup center over the summer in Coaldrich, who I think got a reasonably good contract. You know, I I think Mm -hmm. Aldrich's contract is better than Jeng's contract, and so— While you you can't say like, oh, these two guys are locked in for the next few seasons, that's not the right way to think about contracts, especially in the modern NBA. At a certain point, that is what you're thinking about, because I don't think Thibodeau, sign jang to this contract to trade him because if he did it it's probably a little bit too rich for that and also just the open question of is jang the right fit next to carl anthony towns like if that is your end game if your end game is okay he's going to play power forward maybe he's going to do some backup center like yeah if you had the right guy i'm never going to criticize a team for for making that kind of move even if they have options on the table but i do not have the confidence necessary for a team that could be really really good in a few years to say oh yeah jang's that guy
1: I I agree with that, and I I guess I'm not as dismissive as you are of the idea that Tibbs signed this contract extension with Jang with maybe not the intention that he would trade him, but with the idea that, that, hey, there's a very good chance that at some point that's going to be what makes sense. I think that very much could have been what it is, but given Jang's age – i'm not I wouldn't be comfortable with that as the Timberwolves, just because I don't think he's going to drop off a cliff or anything, but the chance that he declines in his late twenties and into his thirties I think is just too high to to justify this when like you said, it's not clear he's the right type of player to put next to Carl Anthony Towns.
0: That is a big part of it for me. The other part is that Minnesota is getting a whole heck of a lot closer to having some of the young guys be a lot more expensive. So Andrew Wiggins is extension eligible next summer. Carl Anthony Towns is, I believe, one year later. And so you are their their cap space is going to be pretty fleeting because this isn't a circumstance like let's say the Warriors where those guys got their extensions and then the cap peaked after them. Revenues are going to stay pretty stable for the next few years. So spending this money does that. And and I mean I wrote about this for the Sporting News. It's been an issue that I've been thinking about for a long time. It's just that the center market right now. And and while you can classify Jang differently, let's call it the big man market if we want to. Especially because he doesn't have real small guy skills. So like it's it's fair to call him a big guy in all senses. That those are a little bit oversaturated. I mean, there are teams that probably would be cool with trading their bigs, but there just isn't that much of a market because there are there are some really talented guys coming in, their guys are aging a little bit better than before. And so like you have these weird situations like Washington, where Washington has two centers. I think both of them are on fine contracts and Yan Mahimi's hurt right now, so they don't have to deal with the playing time pressure. But it's a lot harder to trade those guys than let's say Wings where it looks like for the foreseeable future There will be a constant and thirsty demand for it.
1: And so just to piggyback off that I think we're sort of circling around this also is next summer, if you didn't extend Jang, if you decide that that money would be best allocated toward a wing that you think you can get. You know, you can do that. That's, that's to me, when you were comparing him to Cody Zeller, the big difference. If the Hornets, not only if the Hornets let Zeller go, would they not have the mechanisms to properly replace him? They would need a center. So it's either going to be Zeller or some other center. That's what they would need. If the Timberwolves let Jane go, they could add a player basically at any position except point guard.
0: I'm not even sure you necessarily need to write up point guard because you, you could play Chris Dunn as kind of a hybrid dude. And also, like, the other huge part of this is age. I mean, we don't know exactly exactly how old Serge Ibaka is, but his listed age is 28. Gorgie Jang's listed age is 26. Like, it's not like he's so much younger than the other guys on the market where you're sitting there going, oh, we have all this untapped potential. We have all this stuff. I mean, I, I think that he can get better with time, but it isn't a certainty that, oh, he's going to make a leap like some guys do after they sign the rookie extensions, but before maybe they really kick in. Like, it's a possibility with him. And I mean, I, 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 it's, it's a weird thing to kind of criticize a guy for, but he was older when he came into the league and I don't think it's anything close to a definite that we're sitting here a year from now saying, "Oh man, he was so much better than he was in 2015-16."
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a little more concerned by the back end of it than a year from now, but yeah, I mean, if you're paying him for 4 years, that reminds me, related question, on all of these extensions, we know Giannis has no option. Uh we know that Cody Zeller has no option. Do we know anything else for certain about options in any of these?
0: I think CJ doesn't have an option. Uh, okay. Yeah, I guess we I would know either, that one, but not too. The other one that I know for sure, and I think there's a partial guarantee or something like that on Dennis Schroeder's, because I, I remember I I heard 470 and I heard 462, and generally right. speaking, that means there's a partial guarantee. And when there's a partial guarantee, it is not definite, because J.R. Smith had this, but often when there's a partial guarantee, that doesn't mean there's a player option. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, and you can have that. It's, it's one of the things that I, I actually like about the league is it's a, a part of flexibility that they have maintained is the idea of, you know, having a combination of a partial guarantee and a player option. But it just doesn't happen a whole heck of a lot. And, yeah, so that's a, a, another interesting thing. But I think the biggest factor there is just the outright fear of the designated player. And I mean, I haven't heard anything definitive on how that's going to go moving forward. And a couple of these teams, Minnesota being the most obvious, though, I don't think you give Jang five years anyway, especially not at the max. But some of these teams might have been concerned by it. And Oklahoma City, and a a thing that I think we both disagree with, though you more vehemently than I, Oklahoma City wasn't allowed to give either Adams or Oladipo a five-year deal this year.
1: Yeah, I'm of the opinion, uh, reading over the collective bargaining agreement, that Russell Westbrook renegotiated his contract. He was the designated player. He qualified because he had a contract that met all the conditions of being a five-year extension, paying the maximum amount with seven and a half raises. But that's no longer true. He's no longer making what was that maximum amount with seven and a half percent raises. It was restructured in conjunction with his extension. Uh, So I would not consider him the designated player if it were up to me to interpret the CBA. Uh, I also think there's a weird thing in the CBA where it's not – a abundantly clear and i know this is not intended um, or it's not abundantly clear that e- that any player who was once a designated player it's not entirely totally clear like how you lose that status even if your five-year extension runs out and you signed a new deal in free agency there is an interpretation that's Maybe a little bit too much to the letter, uh, but where well, you're still the designated player because you once were the designated player. You can never lose that status. Obviously, not that's not what's intended. Uh, but my point is just that the language here is a little murky. I don't think they were planning on players signing these renegotiations with the cap going up.
0: What murky CBA terms? I'm <laughs> flabbergasted. <laughs> Would so, you well,
1: go ahead. If, if you were if you were the Thunder? Would you have been interested in signing one of these guys to a five-year max if Russell Westbrook was no longer the the designated player?
0: I would have preferred signing Steven Adams to a five-year over a three-plus-one. You know, what like, about so a like- four-straight? Yeah, but a four straight, I think I'd rather have for him than a five, just because, you know, it's he's not locked in as being a Mac guy. I've really been impressed with him last year. And this year, I thought he was great in the playoffs last year. He was very good in the Spurs series and good in the Western Conference Finals as well. But, you know, there are kind of different calibers of, of max guy. And as, as we talked about a little bit earlier, this is not a circumstance where the landscape is going to change significantly and make these deals look better with time. And that that's actually something well, I, I I got some I got some commentary which I agree with to a point about like because I've been doing these contract conversions and like the idea of putting these in 2014-15 money often most often and they're like well that's not the world we live in anymore and I think for me the reason I was doing it is just because people were getting a little bit flabbergasted by the money it's like well it's a little bit different now but at the same point you know it is it is pretty much depending on what happens in new CBA I mean it is pretty much the universe we're living in now
1: right I was just gonna say like well it seems like the cap might be leveling off a little bit who knows what the next cba is gonna call for what type of adjustments what type of things could happen
0: well and we're also getting these early preliminary stuff in terms of ads on jerseys that is way higher than the original estimates and i'm pretty confident that money counts as bri and so (laughs) like the original i believe the original estimates i because i went back and looked at press releases when that was announced and and the original estimates were that they expected the average price per season to be three million a year, and the two that have been announced were kind of teams that were towards the bottom, and both of them got five million a year. So if you start to think about, you know, if you were let's say almost double wrong on the worst teams, we could be talking about some serious changes in, in revenue estimation.
1: We could, uh, and the Occam's razor says that well, that just means there'll be a higher salary cap and all that, right? Uh, but. There's always the possibility that because these are a new thing because they're a weird thing and they don't, you know, it's a three- year experiment is the only thing it's approved for. And maybe the NBA says, hey, we don't want to have a drastic swing in the salary cap because we don't know what the market is for these ads and because we might not even have them in three years. So we're maybe they can re- work out something with the players where that money goes to the players in terms of like a supplemental check and isn't necessarily baked into the BRI formula. There are, there are a lot of possibilities out there with those where where it's just – it's so tough from the outside to say – This is what the salary cap environment is going to look like over the next four years. These teams, I'm sure we're dealing with less uncertainty than I am, uh, but they must have some.
0: They certainly have some, and... There are things that are unknowable. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a feature of the system to a point. It's just the idea that aspects of this can't change. Some of them are, are addressed in the CBA. Some of them are not. And, you know, it's part, part of what makes it fun, part of what makes it a continuing challenge. But, you know, that's, that's the nature of the beast. Uh, so I don't think we need to spend
1: – on, on, on that note real quick before we go on, can I make a, a very broad point? Every extension, every deal – is either good for the team or bad for the team. They might not know it at the time. They might never know it. Like, And it might be hard to know. But it's either good or bad. And I am pleasantly surprised by the number of teams that in this time of especially great uncertainty with the new CBA, that they still came to contract extensions. Because at a certain point, you have to guess and say, is this going to be good or bad? And being scared to make a deal that might have been good for you and not doing it because you're scared of what it might be is not a good way to operate. So I'm pleasantly surprised that there were such a high number of extensions.
0: Yeah that, that that's certainly fair and it's also notable because a couple of the teams, I think this helped feel it, had less flexibility. Yeah, you're right that like let's say the Bucks and the Thunder could theoretically have had some flexibility depending Especially on how the it shakes out. But with the raises and cap holds and everything else, it looked less likely and cap space for them is less valuable. So I think they understood where they were and it also aligns for the Thunder with this path that they've done, which I mean, you can, it worked out, you know, like we, we think it probably, you know, we'll see with, with well, well Oladipo, that was, you know, a crazy trade with a lot of a lot of different things going on but you know acquiring guys shortly before the extension negotiations and then you know just kind of having to play it out i mean that's what happened with ennis canner it's what happened with dion waiters and it's what happened with victor Lodipo.
1: yeah and they've taken different approaches with all of those guys
0: and that ties in with the first guy that i wanted to discuss who did not get an extension was andre Roberson. and a lot of me thinks that it makes sense because his value is just so uncertain and the idea of committing to him when you haven't really figured out so much else even with their lack of flexibility after signing the other two extensions just made it so hard to come to a number
1: uh, especially because after the playoffs last year like there was a good chance his best position is as a God, I don't necessarily want to say stretch four, but a uh, 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 more dynamic than your typical four. And uh, MKG you also, four.
0: That's what I'm putting it in my brain. It's like a guy, a guy who plays the power forward role on offense, but his defensive role is kind of an upside down question mark.
1: Yes. Uh, but you also just got uh, Domitas Sabonis, and maybe he's your four. And so, yeah, you don't want to lock into somebody who's I guess if you had to guess right now, ideal position is one you have with a rookie you seem to like, a rookie you're starting, although not necessarily playing a ton, uh, but where you have this promising player you don't want to lock in, and yeah, I think maybe they would have been more prone to do something if it were more clear that his position was small forward.
0: I'm legitimately uncertain what Oklahoma City's long-term defensive philosophy is, because Robertson is wonderful in a system where it's heavy on switching. And they have certain guys on this team that make sense with that. I mean, Russ, at this point, is strong for his position. He's a little bit bigger than most point guards. So, you know, you could imagine him in that. You know, you probably wouldn't slide him one to four, but maybe you slide him one to two and periodically a three on a switch. Robertson can go, I think he can go one to four. Oladipo, we'll have to see. I mean, I don't necessarily trust his defense yet. He certainly has that versatility athletically. But Sabonis absolutely does not. You know, Sabonis doesn't, Ersan Silva doesn't, and it's not like they have these like young draft picks or whatever. And also, one fundamental challenge that you have for the most part, at least in the league at present, is that a lot of the guys who can do that switching defensively don't really have much of a jump shot. And so, like, MKG is a, a great example of this. And so, you love those guys, but they do limit your flexibility offensively. And that's the problem with Robertson is that he could end up being good enough defensively and offensive rebounding where he can be your worst offensive player in your starting five. But he has not proven that yet.
1: No, it was up and down. I mean, he had moments in the playoffs where, and this is not the highest bar, but he had moments in the playoffs where you go, okay, yeah that works him being your worst offensive player on the floor. Like that he's meeting that bar. Uh, But no, he definitely has not proven it. And no, I think it was reasonable to, to not extend him. Although after uh, Ola Depot's extension, after Adam's extension, like it, it became more likely. I thought the thunder would do it because all their cap flexibility for next year is already gone. And so if they were on the fence on something, Uh, On a deal with uh, Roberson, it made more sense, but they just obviously never got all the way to terms.
0: Along similar lines, one closer to your own heart and coverage is Contavious Caldwell Pope and KCP – after all the moves that Detroit made this summer, you know there were some reasons to believe that he would get an extension by the pure incentive system because they're they're they can't, like Cody Zeller they can't really benefit by waiting. But at the same point, you know, if let's say he was asking for something max or masks adjacent, there is not a reason to take that risk now.
1: Right, and I think I don't know this. But I would think like, okay, KCP's agent is Rich Paul and Rich Paul's M.O. is he's going to wait for the deal he wants. And that if that means into training camp, it's into training camp. And so, no, for the Pistons perspective, you're exactly right. It doesn't make sense to rush into something at the max or very close to the max. And from KCP's perspective, if he has the appetite for risk, I think there's a good chance he can get the max in free agency this summer and the Pistons could always match
0: yeah I think I think that's fair this is a big complicated question but without knowing where the offers will be and are if you were Brian Colangelo what would you be leaning towards doing with New Noel
1: I mean I oh that's tough uh okay let me ask you this who has more trade value And I think I know the answer, but in this scenario, who has more trade value? Nerlens Noel or Jaleel Okafor?
0: Jaleel Okafor, if only because his contract is so much more favorable.
1: Oh, well, then I'm trading Jaleel Okafor. I thought it was going to be the other way. Like, I thought that's what made the decision so hard was that I'd rather keep Nerlens Noel... And I think he could play with Embiid, uh, and I'd be willing to spend the year figuring that out and taking care of Noel and restricted free agency. Uh, and I think it'd be easier to figure out if there's a Jaleel Okafor trade that's – and I uh, there's the Ben Simmons complication too. But I really like New Orleans Noel, and if I can get more for Jaleel Okafor, I'm trading Okafor and – playing out the year with Nerland's Noel and maybe you get closer to the trade deadline and you can figure out more. Although if Ben Simmons isn't back on the court, you can only figure out so much. Uh, but I'm, I'm hanging on to Noel for now and trading Okafor. What do what you think there?
0: If Okafor is willing to be, you know, a, like a second unit plus guy. So let's say playing 20 to 24 minutes a game and just wrecking second units without breaking everything in his house. I would rather keep Okafor because his contract is cheaper, you get more time to figure it out, and because Okafor's game makes more sense as a second unit guy. So if you believe, like I believe, that Embiid, when he's healthy, can be a starting center in the league, mm-hmm. then you you will kind of want somebody who fits in better. And Nerlens is such a talented defender, that's sort of wasted when you play most of your minutes against second units. And I don't think, if, if, if you consider uh, Embiid the linchpin then what you part of what you're looking for is either a if one of them can play with him which is sort of the parallel with Jane, with Jang and Carl Anthony Towns you know then then in that case you think about it i don't trust either of these guys with him just because of the lack of shooting and everything else so if you're dealing in that world then you think kind of who's a better fit with the second unit but as you mentioned, a big part of this is also the price that you could get for it because Nerland's now, especially considering the injury he's dealing with, even though that's weird and it's like, you know, I, I don't think that's as big of an issue. But whenever somebody has some sort of injury thing, it, you, all the all the GMs think about every other injury they've ever had. So will you know, I, is it possible And this is the reason why it kind of makes sense to keep him if you can, that he just gets horrendously undervalued in the restricted market. I I don't think it's definite. I don't think it's, like, a a sure thing. But when you think about, you know, the teams that have a lot of money to spend, or even kind of preliminarily, most of those teams don't really have a strong needed center. And so... You know, boston yeah like i mean maybe boston I mean, boston goes after him that would be fun you know him and no him and, and al horford you know maybe they do it but again then you're dealing with the idea of restricted free agency though if they started at the moratorium that becomes a, instantly a more palatable thing for boston to do because they could have a fallback and so you <laughs> and, do that
1: and uh this just occurred to me with this moratorium change If I'm not mistaken, Tyler Zeller's salary for next year becomes guaranteed July 2nd. If you can know on July 1, 100% certainty that you could sign Nerland Noel to an offer sheet or not, uh, that can influence that decision.
0: It certainly can. And so – you have this, this spot with Nerlens, and I'm not saying it's ever going to go to this degree because it makes no sense for it to, but you know, there's a little bit in the back of my mind that says, what if we get into another demo situation where a guy's market just evaporates? And then if you're Philly, you sit there and go, sweet. Like even if we don't want him long-term, we can get him at a contract that we can trade him. And then it's the idea more in the hinky mindset or the, the Ryan McDonough mindset of, you know, if we have an asset, we might as well create it and cultivate it and, and maintain it until we can, we can cash out. I don't think that's a definite. I, I wouldn't even say that it's likely just because of, you know, all it takes is one team. Timofey Mozgov can speak to that, <laughs> but it does take one team. And so one of the, one of the franchises with the most cap flexibility is the Sixers and the Sixers are not going to be leveraged into going over his cap hold to, to re-sign him. You know, anything like that, they're not going to be put in that situation unless somebody forces it. And the teams that could force them into it are, you know, it's, it's not zero, but it's narrower than some think.
1: Yeah. I, I, I sort of think uh, I'm going to disagree with you. I think, and I don't know this, this is my guess, I think Noel, if he comes back from this injury this and looks all right and goes back to where he was, I think he has more trade value than Okafor. And so I think trading Noel probably makes more sense uh, rather than getting into a free agency. Because, yeah, there is a chance that he gets onto a real small deal like that and the market just... Because he's a restricted free agent, because teams fear the 76ers matching, because so many teams have big men, that it just never comes together for him. Uh, but he could also, if that's really the case, like he could take the, the qualifying offer and then you could really be up a creek.
0: Well, I don't think they're the greatest suitor for him, especially because they have another center that's playing so well. I am very intrigued by the idea, as his small ball skills have, have grown, of Nikola Jokic and Nerlens Noel playing together, where Nerlens does a lot of the big stuff defensively, and then Jokic does, kind of bounces around offensively.
1: Yeah, that would be fun. Uh, they, they already have too many big men. They do. but. Uh, but other but than they that, don't, but they just don't in have, theory. but they don't
0: have too many. Like they're weird because they 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 have lots of guys, but they don't have lots of people that I'm just like sold on. You know, being a huge part of their future. And Nurkic, as as good as he has looked at moments, he doesn't have to be a part of their future. Like he has a reasonable contract and 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 everything else like that. He's still young, and so if they you know if they were able to pull somebody like Noel, and I'm not saying they would, because I there depending on what happens with Gallo, I would much rather see them go after a three or four than a five but it's weird because when you think about really like who the teams could be for New Orleans I mean Dallas is, is one for until they get their next center Dallas is always a team like that maybe Brooklyn Boston as you mentioned but it's just like some of those teams are are aiming high, and maybe they think Nerlens isn't high enough, and all that kind of stuff. And we'll see how the changes to the restricted market, if that affects the kind of perception that they're tepid or not.
1: Right. That that's what I was just going to say. Is okay. Let's say like the Mavericks, for example, are aiming higher. Well, are you going to wait around for an unrestricted free agent or are you going to take a swing at a restricted free agent first if that's how the market is set up? If you can sign somebody with an offer sheet on July 1 but can't sign an unrestricted free agent until July 4th or 5th or 3rd even or wherever it is. You know, you might just say, "Okay, July 1, let's let's take a swing at Nerlens Noel on a, on a contract if we get him. Yeah, maybe it wouldn't have been our first choice, but rather than go into the uncertainty of unrestricted free agency, I think somebody like him is a real safe bet to get a big offer if that's how it's set up.
0: It also really helps Nerlands that the traditional center market is exceedingly weak next year. You know, there are a lot of guys that are more in the four world like Blake Griffin, Paul Millsap, abaca depending on what happens with orlando but the like solid center you know like mason plumlee will be restricted though i think everyone will expect portland to match on him and then you have a lot of just kind of like weird guys nene is older and injury prone Pau gasol has a player option but is older you know he doesn't fit with everybody it, you know it's, it's just kind of a it's a it's a motley crew let's say at center and so he can stand out and so maybe you sit there at his moment and go well if what we want is a center and like maybe it's kind of a new era anchor for our defense, he might be as good as teams can do.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll give you one more team because uh, you brought up Pau Gasol. Uh, if Dwayne Dedman plays well for the Spurs and they say, oh, yeah, play with these types of skills would be good for us. Well, nerland's Noel is just a younger, more talented version.
0: Yeah, he's a little bit less strong, but the strength is not the most important part of Deadman's game for the Spurs, especially considering mm-hmm. they could go to a more flexible defense with somebody like Nerlens because you know for Spurs, LaMarcus can slide around, not even totally sure he's a part of their future. Kawhi obviously can, like Kawhi can totally do that, and you know the Spurs are are I think their future is a lot more open. Than some people think, just because mm-hmm. they don't, ha- their guys aren't really on long term contracts because of the way that the timeline worked. Like, I think Danny Green only has two; he has this year and next year locked in because I think he got a four year deal, with the last year being a player option. And so, you know, like, this could turn around like really quickly for them, especially if you know Patty Mills is an unrestricted free agent. We don't know what he's going to do. Tony Parker only has one more year; he's looked at least a little closer to done. Like the Spurs could could be in a situation that we haven't really seen before, where you know Manu's probably going to retire where they they just have the opportunity, even if they don't take advantage of it, to look completely different.
1: Well we have seen it before, right? When they went after Jason Kidd and didn't yeah, get him.
0: True. It was just a long time ago.
1: Right. I mean that's the thing. Everybody because they've been stable, uh, people forget that they have taken these swings before they're comfortable doing it. They did it to get Lamarcus Aldrich to a certain degree. Although they obviously didn't have to, you know, change over their roster too much to get him. Uh like they might have to or like aging might force them to do regardless of whether they want to or not, uh, in the, in the next couple of years.
0: So let's, let's kind of, I'll, I'll rattle through the other guys that were theoretically possible that weren't agreed to agree to an extension. And we'll just talk about them briefly. Otto Porter surprised at all?
1: No, I, I guess I'm a little surprised that there wasn't more talk about him getting a, uh, an extension, but by the time this came around, I don't think it was surprising. Uh, what did you think? Did you, I guess I'm maybe I'm a little more surprised that now I look back on it that I'm not surprised.
0: I don't think they know how good he is. And when you don't know how good somebody is, it's really hard to come to an extension agreement, even though they don't have much flexibility, because, you know, like it it's hard to make that sort of a commitment when when you're a little bit queasy and even though wings will have value, Porter is not somebody who has stepped up and you're like teams are gonna be falling all over themselves. Even even if we're gonna use like Harrison Barnes as the example, Harrison Barnes has showed substantially more in his four years than Otto Porter has shown in his three.
1: See I think a lot of that is just like the 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 Warriors' success rubbing off on Harrison Barnes where he's seen as a winner. He's seen as this integral part of a championship team and a team that won 73 games where Noah Rapport is not the same player, and I'm not saying he could have stepped into that exact role, uh, but theoretically the Warriors would have put him in a different position where I don't think the difference between the two is is all that big.
0: Defensively, Porter just hasn't hasn't proven it as much just because he hasn't had the opportunity. You know, like with with mm-hmm. Barnes, it was like, well, you know, the offense can come and go. Maybe he can't take more than two dribbles without messing up, but at least you know he'll compete on defense. He can defend fours when you need him to. Like uh, Porter hasn't established that on that end, especially considering while, you know, he wasn't the biggest guy involved in this last year. The Wizards took a major step back in defense last season. I mean, that that had been a a perpetual strength of them under Randy Whitman and I don't think it was Otto Porter's fault at all, but it certainly does hurt your rep. Whereas with somebody like Barnes, even though he wasn't the most important person, the Warriors had strong defenses whenever he was, whenever he was on the team. I don't – I mean we'll never know this, but
1: this is something I think about with like Otto Porter is do you think if we knew every team's best offer in contract extension negotiations, like if we knew, hey, this is the most they would have been willing to do for an extension – do you think teams uh, more often would would have come out ahead if they had gone a little higher, or do you think they would have that they're too aggressive with them?
0: Oh, <sighs> it's it's a big mix, and I mean I think back to the negotiations that we did, you and I, with Nate for the for the mock extensions last year. I had the Rockets guys and I threw big numbers at Terrence Jones and Demo and while that is you know maybe that's more the anomaly it's a lot easier to just take that money you know when when a guy comes with a restricted offer sheet and make that decision than to make that commitment if you're not sure
1: see I think I think that's an anomaly I think teams are more are too conservative with it because you know if if the Rockets had signed Terrence Jones to that big extension that I was by the way, on board with, and I thought made a lot of sense when we did this. Well, everybody would be killing Daryl Morey and saying how terrible it was. If the Wizards, in this example, should have offered a larger extension to Porter than they did, and I don't know what they offered, but if they should have offered, it turns out, a larger extension, well, nobody's going to be mad at that in the same way, because we'll never know exactly what the offers were or what Porter would have accepted. But if somebody signs a deal, then you know what it is and can judge that harshly or not.
0: Alex Len's another really good example of that, you know, because considering Phoenix already has another center on roster, and you could argue that Len, you know, is going to be better in the very near future. I'm sure some would argue he's better in the present, you know, like we don't even really know what his market's going to be. So that could be another example of the same concept.
1: Uh, Plus the complication of uh, is Dragon Bender going to be a center at some point? Uh, How are he and Marquise Chris going to play together? I I think there are additional fit complications there that made waiting just make sense for all the reasons you you think it did too with Porter. uh, Just the fit complications on top of not knowing exactly how good he is.
0: My visceral anger watching Sunday's game when they were playing Bender and Chris together at the three and the four was just palpable. I mean, I was just (laughs) sitting there. I like, you have these two guys. One of their unusual strengths is, well, you know, Bender is not a traditional rib-protecting five. It's like if you're putting them against second units, you get this kind of flexibility. It parallels playing Aaron Gordon at at the three. It's like you lose the benefit that you have from having these guys that are position versatile and you slide them to a bigger spot.
1: Yep, I'm with you.
0: Okay, we'll go through. Hopefully, we'll go through these ones a little bit faster. Ben McElwain.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, is he is he a good NBA player? Uh, is he a guy you want to keep around? I don't know. I wouldn't and, rush and to even extend if, him. And
0: even if he were, like, how do you value that? You know, he's looked better over the last couple games, but he has to prove it over a much longer sample size. Mm-hmm. And even with what he has done, is that like starter quality? Is that high end backup quality? Is that middle backup quality? And how much money is that worth in the new market? Especially considering. Those are the types of restricted free agents that oftentimes have have gotten themselves into some trouble, like Dion Waiters is another obvious example of this. It's like it's a lot harder to find a team that falls in love with a non starting guy
1: mm-hmm. and and then add one more on top of it. As we've seen in free agency, it really seems like the Kings need to pay more than other teams to sign players. Well, I don't think their reputation can get much worse. Uh, so if they have a surprisingly good year, it might be cheaper to retain him as a restricted free agent than have him thinking like, oh, there's no way I'm signing extension unless they offer me a ton of money.
0: So I mean, the other two that I want to talk about, they're interesting in very different ways. Kelly Olenek, I understand, because not only the injury thing, but also just the idea that Boston has so much flexibility, and so they might want to know what they can do. And then Mason Plumlee is in some ways the exact opposite in terms of cap structure because Portland is, you know, they're in cap hell already. And, you know, they're a good team, so they're they're there deliberately, you know, for all, the, for all those reasons. But with Plumlee, maybe they're just not sure what he is yet.
1: Yeah, and not just sure—not only not sure what he is, but what is Ed Davis, what is Myers Leonard, what is Noah Vonley— there are a lot of, and I guess if you want to throw in what is Festus Azili, you know what's his health. Uh, although I think we have a better sense of what he is as a player when healthy, uh, but his health just makes it a big question mark. Uh, so they they're going to run into a tough decision, and for their sake, I'd hope they make it before the trade deadline, uh, because I definitely think they could get into a situation next off season where letting just just letting Plumlee walk. Might be what makes the most sense, uh, but ideally, you figure that out before the trade deadline and get something for him if that's where you're headed.
0: Direct parallel is Rudy Gay for me. You know, it's the idea of like you—you you might as well get something for a guy rather than let him go, even if he's popular in the locker room. Yeah, and then with Olynyk, do you agree with me that it's just Boston trying to maintain flexibility, like exactly like they did last year?
1: Yeah, I mean, they just the, with the picks they have, with the cap space, with so many players on good contracts, like. The sky is the limit for them. You don't want to be limited. You want to have all that flexibility you can get. They take good advantage of it.
0: Is there anybody else on that kind of list of, of guys that didn't come to agreements that you think is worthy of discussion?
1: Uh, it, it, the one thing I'll add was I was a little surprised that there was any talk of Tony Snell getting an extension with the Bucks. Uh, not surprised that everybody – Came to their senses and didn't do that, uh, but I guess that was out there for a minute after the trade.
0: Yeah, it was, and and you know I th- I think you get into those conversations just because you should, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll move. I don't think we'll talk about this very long. We'll move into the the uh, rookie scale option years, and I get to make one of my favorite Yelly points, which is this feeling, which I'm so strongly on that if you are going to decline the third or fourth year a guy you have to be ready to just cut them because these options are still bargain basement and these players maybe with the rare exception of austin rivers almost always have zero trade value because the, the team that ends up with them you know the team that has them when the music stops really it's almost impossible for them to re-sign them.
1: yeah uh it, it's funny to think back with solomon hill where there were rumors that the pelicans were trying to trade for him last season. They well if they would have traded for him they wouldn't have been able to re-sign him.
0: Yeah, unless they would have challenged that rule, which I actually think could be could be subject to it just cuz I remember when I read it that there was a vagueness in that as well.
1: Yes, and uh this came up with Austin Rivers where the rule says if the player's prior team declined his his option on the rookie scale, that team can offer more than that option year would have paid. Uh, and a prior team is defined as the team the player was on before becoming a free agent. Well, New Orleans declined Austin Rivers' option. The The Clippers were his prior team, yet the league still ruled that the Clippers couldn't pay Austin Rivers more. Probably a good thing for the Clippers because who knows how much they would have paid him if they didn't have that restriction.
0: Probably not uh, what they paid him now.
1: <laughs> probably, uh, but
0: but that also gets into this idea, I mean, I don't think New Orleans or even, because he was on Boston for a hot minute too, right? That's true. So, like, I, I wonder if either of them had fallen in love with him, how they would have challenged that. You know, like, if they if they would have gone, like, does this rule apply to us? Because I, I don't think I've ever heard anything definitive in that unusual, weird case.
1: No, and I, I think what's most likely is the new CBA would clear this up to mean that the team the player ended his rookie scale contract with
0: yeah you could do it that way i think in some ways if you wanted to do it in, in terms of the idea of trade value it would be more fair or at least create more value to say it's the team that declines the option
1: that's true that make that would make sense in that that's regard how, that's too. how i
0: would do it just because i think it's an unnecessary complication especially if it's a fourth year option that team would have full bird rights so it's like you know no, why not why not let him have it
1: At minimum, there needs to be some clarity to this rule where it's not being enforced in what I think is different than it is written.
0: So – As far as we know, the list of declined but not waived, because the waived guys were uh, RJ Hunter, Mitch McGarry, and Jordan Adams. The guys who had option years declined but did not get waived were Adrian Payne on the Wolves, James Young on the Celtics, Tyler Ennis on his new Rockets, and then probably CJ Wilcox on his new team, the Magic.
1: Which of those bother you the most?
0: (laughs) Adrian Payne, if it doesn't persist. I mean, if it does persist, because they have cap space. Like, they have a lot of cap space.
1: Oh, that was the one that bothered me the least. No, I, they like, all bother me to a, a degree, but
0: but like with Payne, I it's just the the idea that if he's not the answer, but I guess maybe they think Orji Jang is like you spend this season trying to figure out who it is. You know, like with with it also bothers me a lot with James Young. Yep, because that's mine. Boston had this circumstance where they like I'd, I so like okay, if you are going to choose James Young over R.J. Hunter. That is certainly their right. They have access to a lot more information on those two gentlemen than we do. However, if that is your choice, you have to pick up his option because otherwise all you're doing is putting a lame duck on your deep team that has high aspiration.
1: Right. And you ruin, like we just talked about, you ruin his trade value and the boss has so much flexibility. If you have to wave him and stretch him, that's not a big deal.
0: Well, and, and the point to me, the bigger point is that if you want to keep him, keep him. If you want, if you don't want to keep him, don't keep him. You know, like it's, it's really is simple. And even if they thought R.J. Hunter wasn't their guy. And yeah, it's also true that he didn't get claimed on waivers. And I have my own criticisms of that because he had a team friendly contract because he had two more option. He had two more option years. Well,
1: but only so many teams had had enough cap, cap
0: space. I, the team that I am most critical of with it is actually Cleveland because Cleveland had, they had a smaller trade exception, not the Verge trade exception that RJ Hunter would have fit in and the bottom of their roster is not so good that you're sitting there going, oh oh man we can't lose any of these guys and <laughs> Hunter like, who who gives a crap if they spend if they have an extra like 1.4 million on their cap for next year, you know, like worst comes to worst, you pick up that option year. he's not good enough, no one cares, it's Dan Gilbert's money I'm guessing they're at least running a healthy profit, you know, the you don't have any flexibility anyway, and Cleveland because they've traded away first-round picks in various parts of this process, they need all the upside plays they can get. Yeah, they
1: do. The question, I guess, to some degree, is like the roster spots, and you know, I think I'd rather have RJ Hunter than Jordan McRae, but McRae has some familiarity with their system. They seem to like him. I guess that's sort of the guy. Uh, unless I mean, the the big issue there is Mo Williams is taking up a roster spot and. They don't want him counting against the luxury tax, but they don't want to you know buy him out for something in between. I'm not even sure at this point if you take a reduced bile. it's kind of a messy situation, but he's stuck taking up a roster spot so you can't do something like this.
0: I'm thinking more of DeAndre Liggins. Maybe I'm still lower on him than than they are considering, you know, they they decided to to keep him on the roster, but Oh yeah. I didn't think they had a stacked group, but yeah, the Mo the Mo Williams situation is there. Like Maybe even what you do is you cut Liggins, put him on your D-League team with the idea of, hey, once we figure out this Mo situation, we'll bring you back up. Yeah, that that Again, could no, work we're all- talking We're talking about somebody who teams thought so low of that they didn't even claim him <laughs> off waivers, and then the Bulls, I, I don't know specifically, but it seems like they picked him up for a song and are playing him in, in on the Windy City Bulls.
1: Well, so, so let's go back to the Celtics. Do you think this whole saga sort of indicates that... Obviously, it was a close call for them between James Young and R.J. Hunter. They took it down to the last minute. And you could just sort of see that on paper that this is not an easy decision. But don't you think this sort of indicates that, okay, if they had gone the other way, if they're meeting, they had just said, okay, we're going to go with R.J. Hunter, would they have declined his option?
0: Probably, and I would be even madder about that.
1: Well, I mean, I think they probably would have, but I guess there's a chance that because there were two left. His option was left, so much cheaper. It was cheaper, and there are two left where you're – Okay, you pick up this option, and it gives you more even more possibilities down the road,
0: yeah i think that's a healthy way to think about it and and the other two didn't really bother me as much just ennis the idea is probably just trying him out versus any other point guard and with a with some of these guys you know it is also the idea that and this might be true of adrian Payne, it very well could be that they're still willing to cut them if the opportunity presents itself you know like the one that really kind of in the recent years that bothered me the most with this and ended up using it as a significant part of a piece was sergey Karasev, because Karasev, like they basically just gave up on the dude he wasn't playing at all and then they didn't cut him to clear a roster spot until I think it was February and mm-hmm. there's no reason for that
1: uh, I'm really surprised as much as you like to bag on the magic for giving up on mo Harkless that you're not giving them a tougher time about CJ Wilcox
0: Well I think what they did with CJ Wilcox was they gave him a chance My issue with the magic is that they give up high-end players for nothing if or not maybe not even high-end but upside players if well, isn't, get-
1: isn't CJ Wilcox an upside player?
0: Meh. I mean, maybe they determined he wasn't. Like, I, I haven't seen anything from him to say, oh yeah, he definitely is. It's not like when they gave up Mo Harkless for a top 55 protected pick. You know, like Mo Harkless looked like he could play. He ended up getting, you know, four years, 40 million. And they acquired him. So it was like, I think for them, it was kind of not a riskless transaction because, you know, cap space matters, things like that matter. But it wasn't it wasn't in the same way. My issue for them is more Moharkless and Tobias Harris is probably the most obvious with this because they mm-hmm. could really use Tobias Harris <laughs> right now. And yes. his contract is fine. He'd be a nice offensive piece with them, even though their front court is already overstuffed. Like there, you you could make a series of different good combinations with him, and you could also make an argument that if they hadn't, you know, if they had him instead of of everything else, maybe they don't give up all the assets they do for Serge Ibaka, for better or for worse.
1: What I find interesting with C.J. Wilcox and Ennis, as opposed to the other ones, is. Okay, like, let's look at James Young, I guess, is the example to the other side, is that to a certain degree, I think you have to trust the Celtics and say they are the team that knows James Young the best. They have him in every practice. They have him at every game. They see his attitude, his demeanor, his work ethic. They know him better than everybody else and they think it's not worth it to pick up his option where tyler ennis he just got to houston they don't know him that well wilcox just got to the magic they don't know him that well and so these are potentially cheap deals for players who in a year i wouldn't be surprised if either one of them looks rotation worthy in the league like you know let's say that's a, a top 270 300 player somewhere in that range like i wouldn't be surprised by that
0: i see a little bit of a a difference between those two because the magic acquired wilcox in mid-july so like they've had a lot longer with him but ennis did just get there so i I agree with you in that context and also with houston while it's not definite it doesn't look like they're going to have much in the way of cap flexibility so it's not like they're you know oh that two million or whatever his option i think was a little bit less than that that his option was worth that that would have been the difference for them
1: well it could be the difference between having to use the mle and not and if you're competing with a bunch of other teams for players and all they have is the mle that million or two million dollars like that could be the difference in getting the the player who is worth just more than the mle where every other team only has in that in competition for that player only has the mle so the swing there could be pretty big i see why they did it if that's their strategy
0: yeah that's certainly fair were were
1: there any were there any guys whose options were picked up that surprised you Hmm. My answer well, is no. Uh, I mean, I was there saying. was a
0: period of time that it was Nick Stauskas, but he's looked better this year to his credit, I guess you could say. <laughs> and even guys like uh, we're in the final throws of these options being so hilariously cheap. Guys like Bebe Nogueira, Bruno Caboclo, like they haven't proven a whole heck of a lot in the NBA. But why not? Why not pick up those options? You know, like that—that that sort of a thing. You know, and and third year, it would be brutally hard for me. You know, to have a guy who I just had, who I hated that much, that I would do that. First of all, do that and not cut them. But second of all, just to even do that. I, I mean, I I think the closest would probably be Josh Hustis, and there might be something more complicated going on there. But from what I've heard, he's looked better defensively. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Houston was the the one. I mean, I thought they were correct to pick it up, but he was the one guy on that list. I was like, "Well, I'm a little interested to see how that one's going to turn
0: out." I'm st- even though even though he's not on this list, I'm still amazed that Anthony Bennett got a fully guaranteed contract. <laughs> That's kind of like. Well, it's not like picking up his option here because it was super lucrative. But man, that's that's. Well, I mean, granted, the Nets also have also looked pretty shaky so far. But
1: yeah, uh, good for him. So we can bring this whole circle. I was talking earlier about my surprise that maybe not surprise, but acknowledgement that there was there were no true max contract extensions this year, which is a real rarity. Well, when the number one pick in this draft was Anthony Bennett, that really sets it up. Or I guess yeah. he was he or is he the is he the year before the.
0: Well, so the number one pick, the number one pick in that year with New Orleans was was Anthony Bennett. Yeah, Bennett was one, and there was all that weird uncertainty about who was going to go there. Oladipo was was someone that a lot of people thought would have made sense. And you can also, this is one of the more amazing, like, kind of convoluted arguments that you can make, but if... Let's say they draft the Cavaliers, which also we have to remember the Cavaliers had the number one pick in that draft. If they draft Victor Oladipo, that. they
1: always have the number one pick.
0: Yeah, if if the Cavs draft Victor Oladipo instead of Anthony Bennett, they probably don't get the number one pick the next year to get Andrew Wiggins. Granted, you could argue that with what he had already shown, that Oladipo could have been the primary player in the Kevin Love trade. Should they have still wanted to make that trade, you could also make the argument that maybe, maybe he would have been more excited to play with Oladipo, and maybe you, you go with that. You know, you go with that anyway. But it's possible that 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 if you want to take the long game approach, that drafting Anthony Bennett was actually a very good thing for the Cavs.
1: Yeah, but see, I don't like that because any time a, a team is bad and and gets a high pick, it turns into a good player. Any bad move before that they made to be bad, you're like, well, it worked out. Like,
0: Yeah, but I mean, but at the same point, Bennett was an, a significant negative that season. They wouldn't, you know, he played a fair amount because he was the number one pick. That helped move them down in the draft. But again, you could also say that LeBron, like Anthony Bennett being there or not being there was not the deciding factor in making that decision. And it wasn't like his space was vital. So I guess it, that is a little bit of a tortured logic, but I still like it because it's fun. But,
1: the 76ers drafted Nerland's Noel in part because he was going to be out and that was going to help them be bad. The Cavaliers had zero consideration to drafting Anthony Bennett because, oh, well, he's going to be bad and he'll help us get a higher pick next year. That, like, I don't think that I, I, I have to, to note that,
0: yeah, my, my comment was more that it worked out for them, not that it was a good choice. It was okay. not a good choice. No, it was, yes. it's it's outcome it's outcome over process entirely. Yes. But so let, let's take a hot second to talk briefly about the players in twenty in the next class. So the guys that just got their fourth year options picked up that you think could potentially be the next guy to get a max contract, whether designated player or otherwise.
1: So this is the 2014 draft class.
0: Yeah. So Wiggins, Parker, Embiid, so on and so forth. Yeah,
1: so, so Wiggins would have to be the most likely, right?
0: Yeah. W- well, I mean, Wiggins and Parker, I mean, depending on what happens with the designated player, he's there. And I mean, I I, I think I've seen actually a little bit more from Parker than from Wiggins.
1: Yeah. But just in terms of perception and, and I, how I think they're treated and, uh, and health, I think also matters. I mean, really it would not surprise me if Rodney hood winds up the best of those three, if we throw him in there. Yeah, uh, but I just, fair. uh, you know, I think Aaron Gordon has a chance, although I don't think he's really gonna, uh, put his best foot forward playing small forward this year. Um, you know,
0: Obviously, we don't know a lot now, but there might not be a more interesting extension negotiation than Joel Embiid.
1: <laughs> yes, I mean it was. You knew they would, but I just I took note of when they picked up his option uh, last year before he had ever played for them, uh, and that's when that the option was, the options, fir- was were the starting first time to get That's ex- ever happened, right? Uh, I believe so, and that's when the options were starting to get expensive. Uh, you know, for somebody drafted so high. So yeah, that'll be a real inter- interesting one. Uh, that's definitely one where I don't know if they'll rush into an extension because even at that point even if he plays i guess he's not gonna play every game this year because we already know he's gonna miss this this back-to-back coming up uh, but even if he plays every game that they want him to play like he doesn't have any extra injuries or anything that's still not going to be enough time to determine that he's in good health
0: and also with him. stay there with with the Sixers specific cap flexibility and situation there is not a lot pushing them to come to an agreement early because if he's worth the max then you just match up when it comes a-
1: except for they need to make amends to agents i guess maybe yeah, or at least feel at that they time. do
0: like they have they have the moral high ground with a dude that missed two seasons like you know this isn't a circumstance where oh you know you're doing you're, you're playing hardball with the guy or anything like that or even even a wink wink nudge nudge deal like let's say Kawhi or andre drummond like there is legitimate on uncertainty with joel Embiid. no matter how well he plays this year unless let's say l- unless he makes an all nba team there is there is a- enough reason to have legitimate pause for Embiid. unless he agrees to a significant discount which you know it's possible
1: oh i mean even if he makes an all nba team like uh, the uncertainty does have something to do with how good he is and how quickly he'll be how good uh but there's nothing he can do to erase the injury uncertainty like there's right. absolutely nothing he can do this year
0: I like that we talked about Joel Embiid making an All-NBA team, and the argument was not that it was unrealistic. (laughs) The argument was just how it would affect (laughs) it. He's not going to make an All-NBA team as much as I love the guy. I'm
1: glad you pointed that out uh, for the people who are getting just a little too excited in Philly.
0: Yeah. I mean, we trust the process, but not quite that much. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, especially considering he's going to be on a minute's limit and he hasn't, you know, while last year the center crop was, uh, let's call it a little bit shaky in terms of the All-NBA teams, this year it should be a little better.
1: Yes. I think it's very deep. Uh, And I guess if you want to throw in in Embiid as a very, 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 very fringe contender in that deep pool, I think that'd be okay.
0: Okay, question I want to I wanna end this on, which is not in this path, but somewhat, somewhat parallel. Are there any players you can think of off the top of your head that you want to see traded?
1: Ooh, that I want to see traded.
0: I've got one if you want to think about it. Yeah, go for it. DeMarcus Cousins. Cousins is in this situation where there are some good-fitting pieces on the Kings, but we haven't gotten a chance to really see him flex his muscle. He's going to be fragent in a year and a half, basically, and... I'd like to know more than we already do. And we'll we'll get some of that from Sacramento. They're certainly more competitive than they have been in recent years. They have major point guard trouble. They're playing him mostly with Costa Kufos. And Kufos and Wooly Cauley-Stein have their benefits, but they also have their downsides. And it would be awkward in some ways for me to have a guy who I like quite a bit, but who we have this legitimate uncertainty with when he's probably going to be a max guy. Yeah. Uh,
1: I mean... I guess it depends what you're into, but I sort of like seeing him in Sacramento. Uh, I think he likes it there, and just seeing how much he can make it work. I mean, we've been following this situation for a long time through a lot of ups and downs, and I'm genuinely curious, like, can he make it work there? And what would it take, and how far is he? And I mean, there'd be obviously intrigue if he's somewhere else, uh, but I'm I'm interested in that.
0: There's one more I want to mention, and it's not a player that I want to see it, but it would be awesome for Boston to make their buy now as opposed to waiting until draft night or early July next year. Just if the right guy came available, whether that's Jimmy Butler, Gordon Hayward... Maybe Danilo Gallinari, probably not Danilo Gallinari, but you know, if they went after one of those guys now and just kind of, not only would they have them for this year to make a run, but that we could actually start to think about the Celtics as more than a work in progress, but as like, this is what they actually could be. That would certainly make the rest of this year fun.
1: As a, as a legitimate threat to the Cavs, I mean, just you know, adding some intrigue to the playoffs there. Yeah, I could get behind that.
0: Yeah, like I don't think they're going to do it, but you know, if you add Gordon Hayward to this team, they get they get fun. Like because I think also why I like those kind of forward hybrid type of guys like him and Gallo is that they mesh really well not only with Jay Crowder who has an unbelievably good contract, but also with Jalen Brown. And so it's not necessarily the easiest skill set to find. Like I don't think you are going to find these kind of like offensively gifted you know guys that you can run some offense through forwards in the draft, and they're going to wait too long, and they're also usually available through trades i mean i don't think gordon hayward is super available right now and also the idea of while boston you know they hit on al horford and nate and i disagreed on how much of a hit that was and i, I don't exactly know where you are on that but big hit there's there's this kind of i have this little concern in the pit of my stomach with boston that there are all this intrigue but then it's just not going to work out as well as we hope because Isaiah and Avery Bradley are one year away from their, their really team favorable contracts expiring. They're, you know, those are guys that I might not necessarily want to sign to their next deal and Boston, you know, they have a lot more assets. They have two more Nets picks. They have a bunch of cap flexibility. And, you know, I, I'm kind of sick of the idea of what, like the, the idea of them possibly being the next great team. And that's certainly legitimate. I'm not knocking that possibility at all because, you know, they have more assets than almost anybody and they're a better team than almost anybody but it feels like that's been going on for an eternity even though it's only been like two years
1: yeah all right have we stalled long enough Did it draft to come up with somebody i've got one guy who came to mind uh i probably would have a better answer at you know tomorrow and i'd probably have a different answer the day after and a different answer the day after uh but i'll go with Montielis. ellis uh don't love his fit with the pacers i think they could use somebody who's a little bit more of a Three and D guy at that shooting guard and could just make things easier for everybody else. And you know, it's it's fun to watch Jeff Teague when he's unleashed. It's obviously very fun to watch Paul George, Miles Turner's coming into his own. Uh, I just think, uh, including with Thaddeus Young there, uh, that they could have somebody who fits better than Monty And even moving him to the bench could theoretically work if they had somebody else to take that shooting guard spot. He makes a lot of sense as a sixth man. Uh, I just don't see who that shooting guard is on the roster. So. Maybe Mon- if you Monte's, trade Monte Alista.
0: Yeah. Monte's a valid a valid pick and if this season goes as you and I both expect it it could for the Pacers, they have to seriously consider trading Paul George at the draft next year because he has a player option that we all know he's not going to pick up they don't have a ton of flexibility especially if they're going to sign jeff teague and you know i'm not completely sure that he's going to do that for one year you know it's different for for james harden who got two years of a boost out of that so you know like if they if this season goes rough with him i think you have to sell early instead of getting held with the get holding the bag late
1: uh, the counter to that is it's so hard to get a player like Paul George that even if you think you have like a 20% chance of re-signing him, and I think it'd be higher than that.
0: The but maybe KD, just, basically.
1: Right. Like you, well, although the difference there was they were a title contender. I don't think the Pacers are necessarily going to be that, that quickly. Although with the way Miles is ascending, if they figure some other things out, who knows for certain, uh, but. But yeah, that it's just to get a player that good, make him leave, force his hand, make him actually do it. Don't rush to trade him for pieces that add up to him, but but are not exactly equal to him.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I guess I'm just so much of a basketball anarchist that I like to see that sort of thing. (laughs) And and because teams have really been burned with it at certain moments in the past, you know, Oklahoma City is a different circumstance because they had all the reason in the world to expect it. The the ones that I actually use are, you know, guys that are one just hit free agency again on the same team Paul George is on, which is Al Jefferson. But another one for me was Paul Millsap. Like, if you know you're not going to keep a guy and you don't have a present, and Indiana does have a present. So they're in a different circumstance. In those spots... I think teams have to be more aggressive at considering moving guys because, you know, then you're not in, in really a winning situation. But Paul George is a little bit better. Well, he's more than a little bit better than those guys at that time because Millsap has improved a ton since he was a member of the Jazz. But you also have this this idea of, you know, just that the, the Pacers could have more of a future. So we'll have to see.
1: Yeah, I agree with all of that.
0: Uh, anything else you, you feel like sharing? I think we've pretty much hammered all this out.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, I don't know, I'm... I'm glad these extensions happen because with the with the salary cap going up so much, with these rookie skill deals locked in so low, the discussion on the team options on these skill deals, which I've always found very interesting, uh, maybe even more interesting contract extensions to a certain degree, because whether an extension is signed or not, the player is still going to be a restricted free agent. He's still more likely to resign with his current team. Uh I the extensions obviously matter but I think sometimes they're overplayed. I've always found the the team option where you have to pick it up a year in advance very interesting. Uh the higher salary cap has made a lot of that moot. So I'm glad all these extensions happened that add a little intrigue to the night.
0: Yeah, certainly fair. Thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much to Dan Feldman for taking the time. You can read him at NBC's Pro Basketball Talk. You can also listen to him for Locked On Pistons, which is Great, especially if you're connected with that team, and also you should follow him on Twitter at Dan Feldman MBA. That's D A N F E L D M A N N B A. And as I said at the beginning, you know, part of the reason I, I I really enjoy doing this is because I I love this intellectually. I think that the extension deadline is one of the more intriguing ideas and. The later ones, as he and I kind of gushed over a little bit, you know, the Zeller one and even Depot and Schroeder to a degree, you know, like those are are very fascinating because it's calibrating a market, you know, trying risk management from the player and their agent's perspective and all these complicated factors. And so you have a lot going on. And at the same point, with so much money in the league at present, you also have a large kind of area of potentially acceptable contracts, whereas, you know, players could, could go a little bit more hardball in the past because the incentive structure was different. And so it's it's exciting to see how this changes and how the landscape of the of the CBA negotiations affect this. And the assumption has to be that teams, players, agents know more specific nuances of what the new deal could look like than we do, just because they're in the negotiations and they don't have to rely on leaks in the same way that we do. So we'll see if what we hear over the next couple of weeks colors at all the way that we do this. I mean, even the idea of opening opening the door for extensions, you know, moving forward, you know, making it easier for players under contract to be extended, not really the rookie rookie scale guys, but everybody else, that also change, colors some of this. You know, if it's a player who got four years and maybe we wondered if they could have gotten more, like, you know, the possibility when we did the mock-off season, Steven Adams, Rudy Gobert, both got five year deals but waited, you know, so they weren't the designated player. If you change the extension rules and make it easier for those guys to re-up while they're still on their next contracts, well, then that that changes that a little bit because you're not the team risk mitigation is a little bit different. You're not worried you're not as worried about them leaving as a free agent at at the end of that. So it's something else to think about and there's a lot going on and gonna have a couple funding podcasts and try to still figuring out the timing of everything else. I'm hoping that at some point next week, I'm at the point where we can really start talking about some of these teams, working on on who that guest will be, and to to really go through it, but not overreact to anything, because it's definitely not worth overreacting to anything at at this point, even if we wait another week. But there's still a lot going on in the league, of course. And um, since we didn't get to talk about it on Dunkdown, I will take a, a brief second to talk about my experience at the Golden One Center, which is the new arena with Sacramento. And I was I was very impressed. And it, it's something I don't think about very often because the arena that I cover things in most frequently is Oracle. And Oracle is really old. And the biggest change is just the amount of amenities and ideas that are in the King's Arena that just you know, that they that whether it was technologically or just, you know, that stadium design has changed so much over the years. There's so much thought into the entire building. Whether that be the artwork, a lot of the artwork is locally done stuff, there's a really cool piece that is it's the King's logo and then it's it's huge. It's it's really, really big. And all of the kind of there it has little boxes to make the colors right. And it's all pieces of shoes from old members of the kings i have no idea how they had so many of these shoes but they did that was cool all the food in the area is local the sight lines are great all all the technical stuff is not a problem at all the sight lines are really good the acoustics are very good and so it was exciting to to see that and the fans were great i got to see the game which was their first regular season win at the golden one center against minnesota was a fun game because it went back and forth a lot, and then Demarcus Cousins fell out and ran into the crowd, which was fun, and and you know it was a good game, and so so it was. I was very impressed by the experience, and I'm ex- so excited for the people of Sacramento because not only and and I think a lot of people who listen to this can attest to this. If you live close to your stadium, is that it's not only broadly speaking for having a basketball team, maybe it's a hockey team, but also just for having an event space and. I know they're going to have have Kanye West there in a couple of weeks and things like that. And so, while I am a pretty ardent critic of using public funds to build stadiums just on a personal level, there is certainly a benefit to having a nice new basketball arena nearby. So have to have to note all of all of that sort of thing in this. But I'm very happy for for Sacramento. It's a beautiful arena. Lots of care, lots of thought, and was very impressed with the experience. So just wanted to have that in there just as a little bit of color because it is something that that, you know, I, I thought about and hadn't mentioned on anything else. So there we go. If you want to give feedback, good, bad and different, you can reach out to me at Danny LaRue on Twitter, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or generally speaking, the better way is Danny LaRue, MBA, at Gmail.com. I try to read everything and respond when I can. I, my promise is to read. My promise is not to respond just because I get a lot of stuff and I really do appreciate it. But, you know, sometimes sometimes I also, like, there will be listeners to this that will be nodding, nodding to themselves. Like, it can take me, like a month to get back, but I read everything at the first part. It's just, you know, thinking of a thoughtful response and taking that time. I read relatively quickly, but also if something warrants a response, I want to give it what, what is worth it. So I will read it. So if you have something that is very, very important to me to make sure that I internalize and listen to everything that you have to say, because that is central to, to making everything that I do worth it. And so I I really do appreciate that. There are a lot of ways that you can support the show. The most basic with this and any other show that you enjoy is to subscribe, download every episode. Those are That's a central tenet because that helps our numbers and everything else like that. And also, I forgot to mention this last couple weeks, we've been changing hosts for Real Jam Radio. I'm very happy with it right now, you know, with Libsyn now, which is a different company. So if you notice, like, the links on Twitter and all that are a little bit different But one of the challenges of that is you're never completely sure everything is going to change over perfectly. So please, if you or anyone you know runs into an issue with this, maybe they're not seeing new episodes or something like that, let me know. That's really important because there are parts of it that I can research and that I can check and and everything like that, but it's an imperfect system in a lot of different ways. So if you see of something like it's a place that – were missing or whatever in that changeover, let me know. I really do appreciate it. And that ties in with the next thing you can do to help, which is leaving a rating or review. It's great if it's iTunes, just because they are the behemoth in the business. But if it's something else, it's something else. I use Overcast. I think it's a fantastic podcast player, but you can use whatever you want to use. But leaving a rating, leaving a review is really appreciated. And then the last thing, which is also very important to me, is you can check out Audible. So you go to audible.com/slash/try now. And not only do you get to experience a great service, something that I support personally, and you get a free audiobook and you get a free month, but also you tell them that you come from us and well it's great you know when we have when we have ones where it requires more of a financial commitment and you know that 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 ties in it's even better in some ways for me when i'm can tell you try something that you'll hopefully really like that I really like that's free and that supports the show because then you really are are doing a lot of you're doing a lot of things at once and I sincerely believe that for many of you, it will will make your life better. The quality of the material on there is is absolutely great. And so you can check that out again, audible.com slash try now. And so you can check that out. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Take care and make it a great day.